Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. I'm Greta Thomas. And I'm Claire Hatton. We're all about producing content where you can be inspired by and learn from amazing female entrepreneurs and leaders to help you achieve and even exceed your career goals. Before we begin this week's episode, though, it would mean a huge amount if you could rate and review our show if you haven't already. Consider it as your kind deed for the day. And we'd love to hear from you. So why not follow us or message us on LinkedIn? Mention the podcast and we'll be all ears. And now enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to this, our first interview for 2022. And we're really excited about who we've chosen to be our first guest for the year. We certainly are. Speaker, author, and storyteller, Brownie Benjamin, is known for the amazing and purposeful viral video she creates, as well as her book, Life is Tough, But So Are You which came out last year. Yeah, and there's no doubt Bryony really is a master at her craft. Now, in this episode, you'll hear about the moment when Bryony realized a career in accounting or commerce just wasn't for her. You'll hear how her life changed in an instant with a diagnosis everyone dreads, what she thinks about when it comes to getting her creative work out into the world, and what habits Bryony cultivates to stay on top of her content game. Now, before we jump into Bryony, particularly for our regular listeners, you may notice that we've freshened up our format for this year. You know, new year, new questions. So we'd really love to know what you think. Yeah, absolutely. So please email us or message us on LinkedIn. But without further ado now, here's the irrepressible, funny and delightful Bryony Benjamin. Bryony Benjamin, welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. Thank you so much for having me. Pumped to be here. Oh, we are excited and pumped to have you on the show as well. Now, you know, a question we often ask our guests to kick off with is, imagine you were at a dinner party and sitting next to someone who didn't know you and they said, oh, what do you do, Bryony? How would you answer them? Yeah, well, the snappy version probably is that I create content for change And the longer winded version of that would be, you know, I'm a storyteller and a creator that works through all sorts of mediums, be that I bought out a book last year. So be it the written form, the video form, you know, just connecting with people and and sharing my story. I can't wait to uh, chat to you more about the book in a short while. But, you know, is there a story for how you came to sort of be doing what you do now? Because, you know, I think you've created some extraordinarily successful and frankly famous viral videos and the like so you are no slouch in what you do is there a story in how you came to sort of to be doing this work 
Yes, well, I actually um, started at uni studying commerce and I did a commerce degree majoring in finance. And at the very end of that degree, I actually started doing a few subjects that were in carbon trading and what business in a carbon constrained world would look like. And I just loved it. I was already really passionate about climate change and been really passionate about the environment my whole life since I was a kid. I think growing up in a veterinary practice surrounded by animals, a lot of outdoor time. So I think you know, mum and dad really imbued that sense of conservation and care from a young age. And when I finished that commerce degree, yeah, and, and did those subjects, I had a job lined up in the industry at Deloitte, actually, and PwC had job offers. And then I decided, no, I think really what my special source is, is being able to tell stories. You know, so I re-enrolled in a new degree, in a film degree, logical step after a commerce degree, and went and enrolled to do a three-year film degree to learn about how could I get people to really engage with and care about the issues that matter that they might be, you know, just too busy or unaware of to engage with. So that was really the mission. So that's sort of how it began. And, and I think in that final year of that commerce degree, probably the real turning point was I entered a mobile movie competition. Now, this was the days way before iPhones. It was shot on a little Nokia. And I, I made this, the theme was um, make something about your town. And I grew up in a, a town on the Gold Coast in the hinterland there, a really historical town. So I made this short little one minute mobile movie, got a friend to help me edit it together. And I submitted it into the Sydney Film Festival um, competition. And it actually got selected. So they flew me down to Sydney and I got screened at the opening night of the Sydney Film Festival Gala, you know, at the beautiful, what's it, the 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 gorgeous... Um, State Theatre. State Theatre, yeah. Gosh. <laughs> and amazing. so I just had, had this moment, I'm sitting there in my, you know, third year of my commerce degree and I was like, oh, no, this is what I want to do. This is, this is cool. <laughs> wow, that really sounds like a pivotal moment. Yes. And what did your family say? So I'm really intrigued. Like, you know, it's sort of like you're doing finance and then suddenly you sort of do this massive pivot and you've almost finished. They've almost got you through university. And then suddenly you change your mind. Yeah. Mum and dad have always been super supportive and encouraging, I must say. I mean, yeah, they, they just, I don't remember ever them discouraging me from doing that. You know, from a really young age, they always used to say to us, do what you love and the money will follow. That was always the sort of motto growing up. Great advice. And so whilst I think, you know, probably they're thinking you've got a really good job offer here and it's a stable, secure thing. And, you know, like definitely anyone, I think that pursues a creative field, you have those moments where you're like, oh, should have stuck with the finance. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, ultimately they were really supportive. And so off I went and did it. Yeah. You know, if you think about your work and it's no mean feat to create viral videos and it's an even more extraordinary feat to, you know, write and publish a book, that's that's a big deal. Are there any habits you think that you have that, you know, have made you be able to produce success, such successful content? You know, I'd love to say I'm a really structured, organized person with with a great morning routine and habits, but that would just be lying. And I aspire to that. But I think, you know, it's really interesting with creative work. I do think there is definitely, it's when you can apply discipline to a creative practice is when you, you know, do do your best work. So even when I was at Mamma Mia, I was there for, you know, 18 months. I described that as being in a video lab because I had five producers that were working with me and I headed up that team with my dear friend Claire Gerber. But, you know, you were just 
having to think and generate ideas every single morning. So it wasn't just one off here and there, or, you know, even, even now when I'm running my own production company, I might be working on a brief, you know, once every few weeks or something, but you were just generating ideas. And so I think, yeah, anytime that you can apply discipline to a creative practice is when it just works really, really well. And so when I was writing my book, for example, I did have a really good routine during that time, which just looked like me getting up and just writing first thing in the morning, you know, for probably about two hours in that really early morning part of the the day. And I struggle with the mornings, you know, I'm still dealing with chronic fatigue, post chemo and all the works. Uh, So I I do struggle to get that early morning routine going. But yeah, I was really disciplined when I was actually writing the book, which was great. And it made it really doable. But, you know, I was listening to a really fantastic podcast with Jerry Seinfeld, actually, on Tim Ferriss's podcast some time ago. And I'm personally don't want to offend any listeners, but I'm not a big Seinfeld girl, never have been. But, you know, he's obviously very infamous for being an incredibly famous comedian and writer and he you know really got famous for that he's famously known for basically getting up and writing a joke every single day whether he felt like it or not he would do it you know which really led to his success and I love this thing he said where he said you know imagine if you went to a personal trainer and you said how long are we going to do this session for today and they said oh we'll just go for as long as you can till you drop, you know. I mean, how unmotivating would that be? And he said, and the same is true when you're writing or doing creative work. You've really got to have structure around it. So, you know, say I'm going to do an hour block or I'm going to do a two-hour block and leave it at that. But And and that was the mistake I made, I think, when I wrote my book, particularly because I was feeling quite unwell at the time with chronic fatigue. I would just get up and go, I'm going to write until I drop, (laughs) basically. I'm going to write till I feel sick, which in hindsight wasn't a good strategy. So in future, I'd be much more structured around it and go, I'm going to write from, you know, 6am till 7am and that's it. Yeah, or yeah. something like that. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, I know some writers, they just, you know, because it is so hard to get started, they just sort of say, I'm going to write one word. And then that sort of moves them on. And as soon as they've written one word, then more words come. Yeah, the whole tiny Definitely. steps and things. Yeah, just absolutely. And- yeah, brilliant. Yes, I love I love that approach and just, atom- yeah, atomic yeah. habits. And I've been doing that recently with a bit of writing that I'm doing. I'll just say, I'm just going to do 20 minutes of power and I put my timer on. And in that 20 minutes, I'm probably way more productive than if I, you know, said I'm going to block out two hours to write this afternoon. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It's sort of that whole conversation around impact and output versus being busy and activity. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. It's def- definitely, I'm all for impact and, you know, just being as um, creative and as efficient as you can be and not worrying about, you know, is it, having downtime and things like that. Yeah. And and then interestingly on that idea of when you ask about, you know, things around a creative practice, you know, I have found it's about getting clear on when you actually get your best ideas and when you are most creative. And I have found sitting down at a computer to be creative and come up with a viral video idea has never worked. <laughs> funny, <for me>. man. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny, like I was working on a campaign for the last couple of like about eight weeks, I've been trying to crack an idea for this campaign. And on the weekend just gone, I went and stayed at Soma for a weekend, the most amazing retreat in Byron Bay with Tina Tower. She was doing a mastermind. And when I actually just stopped and wasn't thinking about it and was just casually having a chat with someone about it, it just came to me. It was funny. I just cracked it in that moment. So yeah, I think it's always that thing, isn't it? Like some of the world's most creative people, they do say, you've got to like 
allow times for yourself just to get bored, have unscheduled time yeah. where you're not on screens, you're not on devices because I know for me it's often when I'm walking somewhere, when I'm off my phone, like that when I'm when I'm driving actually I just drove down from Queensland a few days ago to Sydney when you've just got that time for your brain just to be a bit bored that's when the ideas crop up so true so true I'm a shower girl personally <laughs> yes yes shower is great shower for that. is awesome or swimming Maybe it's something yeah. to do with water. I, I get my best ideas on aeroplanes. Oh, yeah, aeroplanes. There is yes. something about the detachment from the earth and that, you know, it's a literal as well as metaphorical getting on the balcony. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. that's so true. Oh, my gosh, that is so true. And I think it's that distraction-free environment, yes, right? Don't like, you love it? I actually <laughs> don't want I don't want a future where you can, like, have your phone working and your Wi-Fi all the time. I'm like, no. Like, if I could, if I could be as productive as I am, on a plane like I would have written about 75 books I think (laughs) like it actually I had an idea um a few years ago I was like oh how good would like a airport cafe be like a plane cafe where you go and they like (laughs) and they set it up like a plane and there's air hostesses bring you food and they take your phone off you there's no wi-fi and you sit in your little seat I reckon I would just sit there and just bash out so much work oh me too it (laughs) has to be business class go do this (laughs) yes have to be a business class seat oh yeah definitely definitely (laughs) business class the only time I could yeah afford an international flight business class but um yeah I actually had a mentor who used to say to me when you're about to sit down and do some deep work he had this theory where you actually book yourself on a flight and he's like get really specific so I'm taking like the 920 from Sydney to Perth and just devices off notifications off and just like book yourself in on a, on this virtual flight and I was like that's a cool that idea. That is a really cool idea. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's gonna have a business idea out of that. They'll take your idea and yeah. Okay, please that one's free to the universe. I'm never gonna do it. So take it please. <laughs> now Bryony we can't go any further. You mentioned a little while back, you know, that you sort of had chronic fatigue and that was potentially coming after the chemo. Yes. So obviously health and it leads sort of will segue probably to your book after this but you know something big happened to you some years back can you tell us about that yeah so it was when I was working at Mamma Mia I had been there about 18 months and for most of that time I had just not felt great and it had got increasingly worse I just felt a bit achy always I just felt really tired I could never get on top of it and then I started developing a number of symptoms so I was having night sweats on and off and then that was night after night after night just waking up drenched basically in my own sweat And I was going to my GP over this period who I'd been seeing for the last five years. And, you know, we just kept ruling things out and it just kept getting put down to stress. And so my mother, who's very vigilant and was on my case and my dad's a vet. So the two of them combined, they were just very concerned about my symptoms. Mm. And I think probably about my overall demeanor. I think, you know, it was the first year that I couldn't set goals, which I think is a really interesting insight into how my body was feeling. My mm. body was sort of saying, oh, sweetie, like we don't have time to set goals. <laughs> like I just want to sleep, you know. That's all I could think of when I thought about my goals for the year. I was like, I just want to rest. And long story short, after many, many months of no answers, my parents were really concerned that it was lymphoma. And so they called up my GP and insisted that I got referred to a specialist. And so I went and saw her that week. She ordered a bunch more tests and PET scans and said, yeah, you know, come back in a week and I'll give you the results. 
And so I just thought, oh, this will be another dead end, you know, after so many dead ends. And so my mum insisted on flying down to Sydney with me for that day. And I was saying, mum, don't worry about it. I've got to get straight into work. You know, we've got Sophie Monk coming in. We've got a big interview, post-bachelorette debrief, really important day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and she didn't listen, as all good mums uh, don't, and just insisted that she come down. And thank goodness she did because went in that morning before work to go get those results and sat down and just got the news you never expect to hear, and especially not when you're 31. And my specialist just said, I'm so sorry, the results are back and it is Hodgkin's lymphoma. And that means we're going to just have to clear your next six months immediately and start you on a course of treatment. And I suppose I couldn't quite grasp what that meant at that point. I didn't really know much about lymphoma, um, but she'd mentioned chemotherapy. So that sounded very scary. And the first question I just asked was, so am I going to lose my hair? And she said, yes, you will but it will grow back. And that's when it sort of hit me, mm. this moment of like, oh, dear, this is this is quite serious then. Yeah, and how long ago was that? So that was four years ago. Yeah. And still, you know, um, very grateful to be through it and out the other side. But, yeah, it's like the healing and recovery is a long journey and a long process and it's still something I'm navigating. Yeah. So, like, sorry, I can't imagine, you know, the sort of thoughts that went through you in that moment after that initial question. Is there sort of, how would you summarize that moment? Yeah. Well, I've actually got a page in my book. It's sort of designed with like words flying everywhere. And it's like, oh, is that why my squash has been so bad? Like, oh dear, I'm going to lose my hair. Like, oh God, how do I tell my friends? Oh my gosh, I've got to tell my sisters, you know, and that immediate sort of thought is just who are the most important people in my world yeah. that I that I need to let know? It's a really, I uh, wouldn't recommend it, but it's a really good way to clarify that really quickly for yourself. And just who do I want to spend this time with and, and how much time do I actually have left, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's daunting, definitely. Uh, and that first day was probably one of the hardest days because you're just, it just keeps hitting you in waves of shock. Mm. You forget for a minute and you're having a conversation and then you're, thinking, oh, my goodness, that's right, I just got that news this morning and it's very surreal. And how long was the treatment process? I basically went straight into IVF because I haven't yet had children and so if you're in the position yeah. to do so, they like to give young women the option to freeze your eggs. So I was really grateful to get to go through that experience. And then, yeah, once that was finished the next day, it was straight into chemo basically. So, and that was a 12 week course of chemo and it got cut short to 12 weeks, which was great because I responded so quickly to mm. it because yeah, when I was diagnosed, uh, it was stage four. So that Gosh. meant it had spread outside of my lymph glands and into my bone and it was sort of in my hip and my shoulders and it had sort of gone everywhere. So, you know, I think whilst I'm, I was really fortunate to get a cancer that's very treatable, I remember after, you know, after I was in remission, I said to my dad, like, without treatment, like, what do you reckon we would have been looking at, you know? And he said, you, you know, you probably would have had a few months if, if yeah, if with no treatment. Yeah, that's so that sobering. And you talked about chronic fatigue. So how's that impacting your life today? Yeah, the chronic fatigue is like a whole another kettle of fish. I think too, once you've been through a big ordeal like chemotherapy, you just want to get back to life, right? And you feel like you've had so much time sort of taken away from you. It's really frustrating and it's been a whole another level of acceptance just to, to come to terms with it really and go, okay, well, 
you know, I can't operate as I used to. And that's actually okay. And that's where I'm at right now. And how can I set my my week and my days up to help me and to help me recover? And so, I mean, that looks like now I, I don't really drink because it just makes me feel really sick. I have to be really careful about just not over planning and over scheduling activities. And I think I've had to just get really good at saying no to things. You know, I know I only have a really finite amount of energy So I just have to be careful where I schedule things and put things in a week. Yeah. And I went through the chronic fatigue clinic last year that's attached to UNSW. That was really helpful for anyone that might be, you know, dealing with maybe even with long COVID or something like that, because it's relearning how to run your life really. And one of the really interesting things out of that was they got me to time track my week and write down everything that I did in a week and come back and present it to them. And that first fortnight I came back and showed them my calendar And they said, okay, so you don't actually rest ever. Wow. (laughs) Yes, you you have chronic fatigue, but you actually don't rest. And I said, yes, I do. Like, look, there I went for a walk and there I, you know, sat down and listened to a podcast and there I was reading. And, you know, they said, yeah, none of those activities actually constitute rest. So rest is literally getting a cup of tea and staring out the window and just doing that, you know, like not on screens, not cognitively processing anything. You know, they said even, even a meditation, whilst that might be really great for some people, if it's for you, another thing to tick off and do, that's still a, you know, a thing to do. (laughs) And so, yeah, learning actually what rest is and like full disclosure, I'm still terrible at it, but I do try and find now a few breaks throughout the day, even if it's five or 10 minutes where I just get off the phone, get off the computer and just try and sit because, you know, it's, it's not something many of us do often, is it? I mean, no. what about you guys? Do you, how no. often do you rest? You, it was like, almost like a brick dropping inside my head going, oh my God, <laughs> you mean yeah. actually just do nothing, like stare at. And it, immediately sounded incredibly appealing and I immediately said to myself right basically <laughs> okay right well I, yeah <laughs> I love changing the scenery like you know get, going for a walk or doing some errands you know picking up the dry cleaning if I've been you know working from home I'm an extrovert it drives me insane sometimes yeah. so certainly being able to like go out to the dry cleaning can be a highlight of the day yeah totally. it's interesting isn't it you know we actually we've both had chronic fatigue so we really um, understand where you're coming from interesting well give me all your tips um (laughs) yes for me I've got sort of rituals that I do and it sounds really bizarre but going to the coffee shop is actually for me like a mong moment (laughs) and mong is like when she um zones out zone out it's a clear it's it's like it's mong (laughs) oh I like that mong yeah so that's my (laughs) yeah complete zone out so that I every morning I you know obviously I'm also a, a caffeine addict which isn't isn't brilliant but you know what one or two days fine but it's actually that walk and now we've got a dog and so actually I I'm mong taking the dog for a walk which I really I actually really enjoy going to the beach and looking at the ocean and watching the waves watching Mm. yeah that's true we do watch the ocean because that helps a lot that's Mm. really important and I I also really like pre-covid and increasingly now um going to a coffee shop and just watching people like not thinking about anything but just watching life going around me I really enjoy that Yes, I think they're all such fabulous ways to rest. And like you were saying, it's actually 
I find it basically impossible if I'm just going to sit on a couch and do nothing. But I have found, like you said, observing nature or observing something, you know, like looking out and just watching the trees sway in the breeze. Or, you know, the other day even I I just went outside and sat in the sun and just watched the ants (laughs) crawling around. And, you know, I thought, oh, God, it's been so long since I just sat and took in little details Mm. like that. But it is, it's really calming, something about, yeah, and and the water I think is a wonderful thing as well, the waves crashing and just just watching something that, you know, can take you away. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I know that you've written an amazing book called Life is Tough, but so are you, which we'll talk about sort of some of the key messages in that in a moment. But when you sort of look back on that experience and your continuing experience, what do you think is the biggest lesson apart from needing rest that you've taken away from this experience? It's so hard to boil it into one thing, Claire. (laughs) I I do get asked this a lot, but I I feel, you know, I had to write a whole book really to share it (laughs) because there was just so much I wanted to share. But the simple answer to that, I think, is that the title sums it up in many ways that, you know, really tough things are going to happen to all of us. Yeah. But we actually do have everything inside us already that it takes to overcome it and with the right support network around and knowing how to ask for what we want and need and thinking about the energy we want around us. You know, we do have what it takes to rise to the challenge, even when we feel like it, we don't. So I think that really was the overarching. That's why I ended up calling it that because I just, it was just the thought I just kept coming back to over and over. And it's even a mantra that I've used when I'm going through something really difficult. You know, I will, I will say it over and over and over to myself and it has been helpful But I think as well, for me, probably one of the biggest takeouts was when you are faced with your own mortality and particularly at a young age, it does really make you think very critically about how you want to spend your time on earth. And for me, I already had this deep, you know, love and sense of nature, but it it brought it home even closer, I think. And that thinking about the connection between the health of our planet and the health of our bodies. You know, it's totally intertwined. We can't have good, healthy lives if the environment around us isn't in good health as well. So I think, yeah, it probably reignited the fire within me to focus on that work. Yeah. And I think also just get really clear about the energy I want around me. And I've just become quite cutthroat now, just in that, you know, if there's a particular person or energy that makes me feel drained. I just don't seek out those people and spend time with them because, yeah, life is short (laughs) and it has such an impact on your mood. And when you've only got limited energy to give as well, you know, you don't want to be giving it away to things that don't matter. So I think there's a whole lot of things that I just care a lot less about now. Yeah, that's so, so great. I mean, that is so, I'm sorry you've had to go through such a hard experience to learn all those lessons, but it's sort of been a sort of a, a supercharged masterclass, isn't it? You know, it certainly is. And I was having this conversation with someone the other day, you know, she was beating herself up a bit and saying, oh, I learned the hard way. And I thought, you know, sometimes I think it is the only way us humans learn. (laughs) You know, we can take inspiration from other people. We can hear stories, but it's not until you're in it and it's happening to you that you can really understand it and make choices. Yeah. It must be one of the sort of human faults. (laughs) 
Yes. <laughs> if only we could. And, you know, having launched the book, I think you launched it in COVID. So that must have been quite an experience trying to do it all virtually. Sydney was mm. certainly in lockdown. Were you in Sydney then or in Queensland where you're... I was actually in Queensland just by chance. I was up there and then I thought, oh, well, staying is we're going into <laughs> lockdown. I might be better off trying to do it up here because at least I might be able to get out and about um, to, you know, do some book events. But yeah, so look, I mean, of course it would have been nice to have had a book launch and this and that and whatever, but actually the timing of the book coming out just as the third wave hit, there were so many people, for example, that their pre-ordered book literally arrived on the afternoon of the third lockdown in Melbourne, for example. Amazing. And so in some ways the timing was actually really good for the book in that I knew it was landing in the hands of people when they actually really needed it. Yeah. So it meant instead I, you know, I did an online book launch and, yeah, I think in, in many ways it actually made the book more relevant at the time it came out and, and helped get it, you know, get it out there. Yeah. So, and it was lovely getting, you know, messages from people that, for example, you know, a, a young mother that was in lockdown in Melbourne with a few small children, um, she reached out and just said, oh, this book has just helped me so much. I've been feeling so anxious and so flat and this has really helped in the last few weeks. So, yeah, hearing those sort of messages during it was just fantastic. How great. That must have given you yeah. such a, you know, a lot of satisfaction. Yeah, it's it's definitely been, I would say, one of the highlights of my life. Has Like on a weekly basis at the moment I will just get the most beautiful message from someone that will just, I will just burst into tears, to be honest, that are just in such a difficult place or going through cancer or, you know, they're just going, navigating a really tricky divorce. And to hear them say that the strategies and practical ideas and concepts in the book have just really helped them. Oh, it's just been the best feeling ever. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, Is there one that was, that's made you like laugh or one that's been very surprising? Oh, I don't know about that, actually. Um, Not so much laugh, but I've been, I've just been amazed by how some people have really taken on everything that they've read in it, you know, particularly, I think, yeah, just the, that have just taken on board some of the more practical components of the book. So like even things, like I said, you know, when I went into for chemo, my beautiful mum would make a whole thing of bliss balls and take them into the hospital. You know, I'll get photos from people that have made a whole thing of bliss balls with the recipe that's in the book, or, you know, they've gone out and bought a journal and they're journaling every day to, to help them through a challenging time. And yeah, I love it when people just let me know what phrases in particular or what ideas have really helped them. And, you know, just some of these are like, well, I really just sat down to try and write the book that I would have loved to have had at the start of my curveball, you know, because I got given a lot of books actually, but a lot of them, I just found them scary, overwhelming. I just didn't want them near me. I I didn't want to read anything about cancer. You know, I didn't identify as a cancer patient or person. And so that's really everything that I tried to put into this book. I was just thinking of that person, you know, and it's like what I've always done with content and video. I'm always thinking about who is this person that's going to end up viewing this and why are they going to care about it and why are they going to share it and why is it going to connect with them? And so I really wrote the book with that exact same idea in mind. Like I was so clear about the person that I wanted and where they would be at when they got this book. And that's why it's really colourful and it's broken up and it's just, you know, one idea per page because I wanted it to be digestible and something you could drop in and out of. So it's been, yeah, so lovely to hear that it's landed in that way for people. Well, colourful and 
ideas on every page. It sounds like an also a great description of you, Bryony. And I think, you know, the <laughs> book is still so relevant, you know, for these times where people's lives are still not fully back to normal. And even if they are, these sort of scars of COVID and all the sort of ramifications for that, you know, I think it's still so valuable for people. Now, I want to ask you a question that sort of goes back to the creative aspect. You know, you're constantly making videos and other content and your book. How did do you decide and know when a piece is ready for release? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I I would say that I'm not a perfectionist probably, (laughs) Uh, but a book that's really, really helped me with my creative work is, I don't know if you've read Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Yeah, I love that book. I love that book so much. I really feel like it's my creative Bible. I go back to it and probably read it every year. But I think that book really released me so much from perfectionism, from overthinking things, from, you know, being a martyr to your creative pursuits. And I love the line that she's like, you know, she says, it all matters so much and it also doesn't matter at all. Yeah. So just caring deeply about it, putting my heart and love and soul into it. But at some point, you know, I'm sure Beethoven wrote symphonies that he would listen back to and go, oh, could have changed that, could have changed this, could have changed that, you know. And, of course, you know, any creative project you you finish, you always think, oh, I could have tweaked that, could have done that. But, you know, done is better than than not done and, and out in the world. And, yeah, another thing that I came across recently by Denise Duffield-Thomas, I don't know if you know her, she's the sort of money mindset guru. Uh, right. I've gotten really into her recently. But she has this fantastic line in her book, Get Rich, Lucky Bitch, and she just says, I acknowledge that I'm a contributor, not a guru. And so I think that phrase has been very freeing to know that, you know, well, if my thoughts and ideas and creative projects are helpful to some people, then it it doesn't matter. I don't need to know everything in the world, you know, because of course, when I sat down to write the book, you know, initially you're thinking, oh, well, I'm not a psychologist. Like, what do I know? And then I think, no, actually the people that helped me the most when I was going through my challenging time were not professionals and experts. It was the people that had been through it and had sage advice to give to me and they, they really got it, you know? So I think, yeah, there's something really freeing in that notion of you don't have to be an expert. You can just be a contributor, not a guru. Fantastic. Yeah. I want to turn now and you know, if you look ahead and think about given the medium and the media that you work in, particularly sort of viral videos and therefore social media is so key, you know, when you're looking down the pipeline, are there any technologies that you sort of see or any changes coming that are really exciting you and, and you get excited about? I think, you know, from a video sense, (laughs) I think TikTok's where it's at in terms of, you know, innovation and creative application of using what what a mobile now allows us to do and film such interesting creative angles and different kinds of work that we never could do with a traditional big camera setup. So I think that's really exciting. And I also just really feel that the future of video is vertical. Everything will be favored for that in the future because it's just such a more immersive experience I always say to everyone now like landscape is dead like don't use it ever on social media you know like it's fine for television and it's fine for YouTube and that's about it I love the way like with something like TikTok how it's just unleashed the world's creativity and it's sort of this crowdsourced creativity you know of people building and iterating on each other's ideas and it's sort of really the way it's built into that app, you know, and people often write off TikTok saying, oh, it's just for dancing teenagers. It's really not. There's some incredible content on there. So that that's something I've been enjoying watching over the last few years, watching how that's evolved. Yeah. But yeah, I, I just think the power of 
being able to make really high quality content with an HD camera wherever you go is just, it takes everything to another level. Yeah. Wow. And vertical. As a former TV reporter, it's like, okay, good to know. Thanks. So what makes vertical so much more immersive? Just from a Well, if you think about when you're holding your mobile phone up, imagine a landscape video on that screen and that's taking up maybe, um, what, less than 30% of your screen. So you can see other things above it, below it that yeah, are distracting right. you. Whereas if it's full vertical, you're in that and it's taking up your whole screen and it's just a nicer viewing experience for starters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, basically all the data shows that the closer to vertical it is, so four by five is actually optimal, which is kind of like a long square for fa- like a Facebook ad or a Facebook video. Yeah. The closer, closer you are to vertical, the more engaged. Great. That does actually, you know, as I think about it, makes complete logical sense. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. And Brani, as we sort of start to wrap up, if you think about going into the future, it's quite a big question. (laughs) What does success look like for you? Well, you know, when I lay my goals out every year now, I'm I'm passionate about goal setting (laughs) and where my goals used to be the things that I want to achieve during that year, I always actually put at the top now, my health is the number one goal always for the year. And I break that down into what that looks like and what I need to do to maintain that. My other goal for this year is around like a personal relationship goal and just spending time and energy to meet someone really fantastic. So whereas I think those things were always at the bottom of the the pile. (laughs) So definitely, you know, they're just the most important things I focus on now because everything else flows from that in terms of happiness and productivity. But yeah, I think ultimately, you know, when I was going through chemo, I did a book called The Artist's Way. Yes. Have you? Yeah. Great book. One of the questions in that, which I just love so much, was like, who do you want to be when you're 80? You know, essentially it's the same question in a way, isn't it, but in another form. And I thought, oh, it's such a good question to be thinking about constantly and starting with the end in mind. And I thought, you know, I want to be mentoring people. I want to be surrounded by young people. I want to still be learning and growing and full of, you know, fresh ideas and not cut off from young people and, and, and what's happening. And yeah, so I think, look, I'm still figuring it out, Claire. I don't know if I've got a really clear answer to that, but at the moment it's about focusing on the small things, focusing on health and well-being each day, focusing on having lovely days, you know, and making sure I'm working on purposeful work that lights me up. Yeah, well, I personally I think that's a really great answer. And a brilliant definition oh, great. of success. Yeah, <laughs> a brilliant definition of success, much broader than many people think. So I'm sure that will be inspiring to many of our listeners. Well, we've actually come to the end of our conversation. I think we could talk for hours. I think so. We're going to have to have a separate catch-up. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> it's been it's been so wonderful hearing about this really challenging journey, but how you've come through it and the fact that you've been so generous to actually share those tips and impact many other people is is just so wonderful. So thank you again. Now, if people, if our listeners wanted to um, find out more about you, follow your work, uh, find your book, where would they go? Yeah, well, the best place is probably on the gram, on the Instagram. Um, I'm Bryony, B-R-I-O-N-Y underscore Benjamin or brianybenjamin.com.au. All my details and all the things I do are on there. Fantastic. Well, thank you again. And we can't wait to see, first of all, all the amazing work that you do, but even more importantly, you know, how you flourish as an individual. 
Oh, thank you so much. And it's been wonderful to have this time with you. And I really enjoyed our conversation. So thank you so much for having me on. Uh, love the work that you're doing and putting out into the world and yeah, empowering all your listeners to just lead wonderful lives. Thanks, Bryony. You know, the thing that comes through so loud and clear for me with Brani is just how purpose-driven she is, don't you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. And right from her uni days too. And thank goodness she did go into storytelling and not accounting or commerce. Yeah, can you imagine? It's actually a great story how the book came about. You know, Bryony had made a short video that documented her journey and she didn't talk about it in the interview or it didn't come up. But um, it's a journey about, you know, her days from actual cancer diagnosis to full recovery and it's a video that went viral and it's called and we'll link to it in the show notes you've only got one life Uh, but seriously I defy anyone to watch this and not get teary in a good way it's really impressive and you know super easy to see how it went viral and not surprising that it led to an approach by publishers asking her to come up with a book yeah amazing and if you want to check out Bryony's work then check out her insta page or her website brineybenjamin.com plus don't miss her wonderful book life is tough but so are you we'll include links on our show notes page and we'll also include links to all the books that she talked about well that's this episode done and dusted stay happy stay safe and have fun i second that have a great week everyone ciao for now As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.